Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. What I want to share for the next few minutes on is this passage in Matthew 28. Now this is the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And this, of course, takes place, if you're not familiar with the Bible story of the Bible, is Jesus' birth and his life and his ministry, all of his teaching, all of the miracles, walking on water, uh, praying for blind people and, and deaf people and seeing healing and even raising people from the dead. It's already taken place. And uh, his arrest, his trial, his uh, uh, wrongful pers- uh, 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 being tried and uh, convicted, and um, sentenced to death, it's already taken place. He's already carried the cross and hung on the cross and died. He was buried and laid dead in the grave uh, for, till the third day uh, in which he rose again. And these people that he's speaking to, his disciples, you know, they saw all of that. And they saw the resurrection. And here, a number of weeks later, uh, this is the last encounter that's recorded in the book of Matthew before Jesus ascends into heaven. So these are his parting words to the few faithful followers that remained. And so let's read it, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So he had told them in advance uh, to go to this place at a particular time. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We'll return to that part in a moment. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So these final words of Jesus um, are very, very significant uh, for the history of the church, certainly for these disciples, but they also need to be significant uh, for us as disciples of Jesus Christ living on the earth today. These these words were Jesus' final command, and it's known as the Great Commission, because Jesus is commissioning his disciples to continue the ministry and to take the ministry that he began and to take it to the entire world. All the nations, go into all the world and preach this gospel. Now, obviously, it wasn't just those 11 people that were entrusted to this ministry because 11 people couldn't go to every nation. Um, It's a commission to every disciple. And so if you're in the room and you've come to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Jesus is speaking these words to you in the same way and with the same authority that he spoke to those 11. So guess what? We get to be in that small little group of disciples that hear the commission. And uh, I want you to be encouraged because uh, this commission is being fulfilled. Sometimes we uh, dismiss it or we stop thinking about it. We lose track of it. But I hope by the end of this message, you leave here uh, excited that in fact, 
this is actually being accomplished and it's being accomplished at a faster rate today than it has ever been accomplished throughout all of the history of the church. All right? So there's a whole group of academics called missiologists. I'm not sure I pronounced that right. Uh, <laughs> is it close? I'm close enough. <laughs> all they do is they study the church and they study missions and they study how effective who's being effective uh, at uh, winning people to uh, the Lord and, and growing the church and the best of the best of these guys that commit their life to studying it estimate that today about hundred and seventy thousand people will become a Christian just today probably more because it's a Sunday <laughs> right because there's meetings all over the world you know and tomorrow about 170,000 170 to 180,000 people every day become committed to Christ that's almost the population of Kalamazoo County can you imagine boom that many people coming to the Lord boom but it, it's happening saints and that is a rate faster than it's ever happened in the history of the church ever okay the church is growing more people are coming into a living uh, 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 relationship with jesus christ and being joined to a group of believers who are committed to the gospel committed to the bible committed to jesus than ever before and so we have an incredible opportunity all right this is like uh the a stock that is about to skyrocket don't you wish you had known uh you know I don't even know how many years ago it was when Apple just got started and went public yeah. if you'd bought some stock in that right yeah. or Amazon all right because man they just are skyrocketing and so a thousand dollars of stock bought 15 20 years ago is probably worth a million dollars now right why because the market is taking off that's what's happening with Christianity all right it's the hottest market ever. In 2,000 years, it's now growing faster than ever. In fact, the Great Commission is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. All right? Yeah, it's exciting. The problem is we don't see it in the United States. The majority of growth is in Asia. So uh, really all of Asia, especially China, um, just... Tens of thousands of people getting saved every day and all of uh, Asia, but also in Africa and so in, in the Muslim nations. In uh, Iran, there's an incredible revival. And I, I know people, I've spoken to people that regularly go into Iran and they say it's unbelievable uh, the number of salvations, the level of uh, spirituality that these people are embracing Christ, they're seeing many miracles. We don't hear about it because the media is controlled by the Islamic governments, and so they don't want the news out. And uh, places like Egypt as well, incredible revival. There's many, many people coming to the Lord all over the world. So we have the opportunity to buy in, all right, and become participants in this great commission or risk stepping back. And saying, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I want to participate in this. 
It's going to happen whether you participate or not. It being the extending of the kingdom of God, the preaching of the gospel to all nations, and many, many people, tens of thousands, coming to the Lord. What you get to choose is how, uh, whether and how much you participate. And I'm challenging you to dive in wholeheartedly. And let's get back to this verse. It says, when they saw him, these disciples, now these are just the 11 that were left after all this. And this is, so this is the core of the core that he meets with before he ascends. It says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Wow. I am so glad those three words are in Scripture. All right? If you were going to write a story to try to sell something or convince the world that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of Lords, if you were making this up, you would not put those three words in the story. That out of the 11 that were with him the whole time, some of them were still doubting. Right? Right? And so that's, this, this, these words tell us something. It tells us this, this is not a myth. This is not some fabricated story to sell something. This is just the way it is. This is the truth. I love it because it communicates the reality of what it means to be a Christian. Because in this room, and frankly, in my experience, in every Christian I know, including the one standing here talking to you, that even when I'm worshiping, sometimes there's doubt. It doesn't say what they doubted. Maybe some of them were going, I can't, I can't believe this is really happening. Have you ever been in a place where you're like, I can't believe this is really happening? That's doubt. All right? Or maybe they were like, you know, Jesus, we were all hyped up when you came into Jerusalem and the whole city were, uh, gave you a parade and were singing Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. You know, we were on board with you. Boy, but it was just, a, you know, not even a, a day or two later that they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So maybe they were like, is this another setup? How much can I invest into this? That's a legitimate doubt. Maybe they were doubting themselves. Jesus was saying, hey, what you just saw me do, your turn. And they're like, oh, I really don't want to hang on a cross. I really don't want to be rejected by everyone I trust. I don't know if I can do that. Maybe they were doubting themselves. I don't know if I can do that. Wow. But what we do know, this is what we know, is that the existence of the doubt did not stop Jesus from giving them the commission. <laughs> it is good. Jesus knew they were dealing with doubt. Jesus knew what he was asking them to do. And in the midst of that, Jesus looked at them and said, this is what I'm calling you to do. I'm I trust you to do it, even though they didn't trust themselves. All right? <clears throat> and so it didn't keep Jesus from giving them the commission, nor did it keep them from fulfilling the commission. 
That's what you wanted to say. Yeah. She was holding back. Barely. I know. <laughs> Did you hear that? It didn't stop them from fulfilling the commission. Because it was just a short time later, after they get filled with the Holy Spirit, at the day of Pentecost, they, they're on the porch uh, in Jerusalem, and they preach the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. And from that point forward, they had salvations. Actually, the Bible says, the Lord added to the church daily those being saved. All right? And so the existence of doubt is not something that will keep Jesus from commissioning you. When we're struggling with doubt, uh, you know, can I believe this to be real? Do I understand this right? Do you realize <clears throat> that the New Testament hadn't been written when Jesus said this? They didn't have a solid rock man. They didn't have a discipleship plan. They didn't have a building. All they had was 11 people, and some of those were doubting. And Jesus is great, that's all I need. So sometimes I, I, uh, it, it came to me, <clears throat> actually it hit me again earlier this year. Uh, you know, we do everything we can to grow the church and to be effective in, in ministry. We want, we want to make this building better, so we're raising $1.5 million, paying off that, and we're, you know, because it's important. We need to have a, a nice building, and we need to have a worship team and microphones and lights, you know, it's all, that's great. But you know what? That's not the Great Commission. You know what we need? We need the disciples telling non-Christians about Jesus. And if we have that, everything else is going to come into place. All right? And sometimes when I'm, I'm with leaders, I, I'm with pastors a lot, uh, sometimes they don't get it. That, you know, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is that Jesus Christ died for the sins of every man, woman, and child. And we are called to communicate that truth to the people in our lives. Now, John and Reagan, they have chosen to go to a culture that's foreign, and who speak a different language. And uh, what they're doing is fantastic, because if you can change, if you can reach those kids in that age group, it'll change their whole life. Yeah. And it'll change the life of other people. But it's very important to understand that if um, you, know, you are not able to communicate the gospel to people who speak your language and live in a world that's identical to yours, you would not be effective going to a place that speaks a different language that has a completely different world. Right? So this idea of the missionary is kind of like an idealism. Uh, and we need to realize we are missionaries right now. You are disciples called to communicate the truth of Jesus. And you don't need to know, understand everything. All you need to know is that Jesus is who he said he was. And that you're able to communicate that to people who don't know that yet. All right? Uh, and when we suffer doubts... And we have moments of, gosh, I don't know if I'm qualified to, to share Jesus with this person. 
because I really did something stupid yesterday or I haven't read my Bible in a week or you know, I'm struggling, I, I'm afraid, all of these things. Those are the doubts. That just makes you like the, the early disciples. That actually qualifies you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It makes you potentially as effective as those early disciples if you choose to act out of obedience and do what Jesus asks you to do instead of uh, uh, retreating into your doubt and being afraid. So you need to look for opportunities, and I encourage you to look for opportunities to communicate who Jesus is and what he can do. And, and that happens when someone shares a need. If you're with someone and they have a pain in their body or they start sharing a problem that they're having in their life, share with them the solution. You know, listen, people are not one to the Lord through argument. Right? It's good to know the argument or the apologetics, the reasons why someone should become a Christian. And there's a lot of historical information. There's a lot of intellectual information. There's a lot of academic information of why it all lines up. But people don't make a decision because of ideas. Logic doesn't make a decision. All right? People use their reason to justify their actions that they make based on their feelings. And this is actually a psychological truth. If you don't believe me, you can read some books. <laughs> all right? You do it and I do it the same way. But, and that's why God wants to heal our heart so we start making the right decisions. And part of the process is getting our mind renewed so we know what those decisions are. But decisions are made by the heart. And so when people are in need is when we present the solution to that need, which is a person, Jesus Christ. Uh, I was at a church earlier this year in England. And um, they gathered together that their leadership team. It was a good church, a church about this size. And their leadership team, there were about 15 to 18 people there. Jimmy was with me. And um, they wanted us to do a Q&A about, I don't know, I think it was developing a revival culture in the church. <clears throat> like, sounds good. We'll talk about that. And, uh, you know, these people walk in. They're British. They're all smarter than Americans. You know that? All British people are smarter than Americans. <laughs> Hands down, it's, it's something in the way they talk. It, they sound smarter, let's, let's put it that way, right? Uh, but these guys were educated, they were competent, they were passionate. These, this is like an A-team leadership team. I was thinking, wow, this is rock solid. And I know the pastor, he's rock solid. And God just said, ask him if they've ever led someone to the Lord. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. I said, like, hey guys, a little bit into the conversation, I said, listen, I want, I want to know who in this room has actually been there when someone wasn't a Christian and became a Christian. You, you led them in a prayer. You actually got them to confess Jesus as Lord, and, and you were there during that transition. Now, I understand it happens a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but most often a Christian is there and says, you know, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and there's a prayer, and, and that's a moment of salvation. And you know what? Out of those 18 or so people... Only one person put their hand up. It wasn't the pastor. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I don't remember it much. It was about 20 years ago when I was in college. I was like, great. And I realized I had a, a leadership team of a church, and it's a great church, they're doing great work. 
but they're missing the main thing. Right? And, and this is the case for many Christians. And so if, you're, if you've never done it, you're just a normal Christian. <laughs> right? Don't beat yourself up. But step into. Step into your calling. You don't have what it takes. These guys didn't have what it took. All right? They didn't have anything. They didn't have a Bible. You got a Bible. They didn't have a gazillion tracks that you can download and read. You do. All right? And I'm not going to give you, you know, do these four steps. You can Google it. All right? There's plenty of easy ways. You need to train yourself how to share the gospel so that you're ready. Talk to one guy who was excited about treasure hunts, and he was going out on a, a couple of times a week, and he'd always come and share these testimonies. Oh, I, I, I was in the park, and this guy came up, and he, had a, he couldn't move his arm. I prayed for him, and his, his arm got healed. And, wow, that was fantastic. And finally I said, you know, hey, when you do that, do you actually, how many times have you actually prayed for them to accept Jesus? He was like, oh, uh, am I supposed to do that? And I was like, That's what I wanted to do, but I didn't. I said, yeah. That's, you know, getting a healing is great, but that doesn't get you into heaven. All right? I said, and when somebody gets healed, guess what? They are ripe. If you said, you know, I didn't heal you, Jesus Christ healed you, would you accept Jesus as your Lord right now? Would you say this prayer? If they just got healed, chances are they're going to go, yeah. And so you just say a simple prayer, and they'll accept Jesus. And you know what, Jesus, yeah, we want to provide a church for them and maybe follow up and connection, but ultimately, Jesus is responsible for that. You're responsible for being ready to share the gospel when you have opportunity and to believe it. Most of us aren't prepared because we don't believe it. Real quick, I'll end with this. <clears throat> for years, uh, medical science didn't think it was possible for the human body to run a mile in under four minutes. They would say it's phys it, the physics of the human body prevent it from happening. And, and sure enough, they tried and tried and tried. And so everyone was convinced you can't get faster than four-minute mile until 1954, when this guy named Roger Bannister, very good, ran faster than a, a mile faster than four minutes. You know how long it took for the next guy to do it? Two months later. Two months later, someone else ran it faster than four minutes. Unfortunately, Mr. Bannister was running the race too and passed him at the last, <laughs> at the gate. So the guy who beat four minutes still didn't win the race. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> and just bam, 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 bam. After that, everybody was running a mile in less than four minutes. Within 10 years, high school students running the mile less than four minutes. Sometimes we don't believe something because we've never seen it. And as soon as you see it, then you go, oh. And that's why we encourage people to go on mission trips, because you're going to see people get saved. You're going to see people get saved, saved and healed. All right? Um, and uh, I just want to tell you, the early church saw it. They saw people coming to the Lord daily. I just heard, it was last week, <clears throat> a church in, in California called Saddleback Church announced that they were having a baptism service. 
And they said that uh, at this baptism service, the 50,000th person in their church would be baptized. Now, there were hundreds of people being baptized, so they were going to keep track and figure out which the actual one that was... This one church... Everybody say one church. One church. In our day, in our country, baptized 50,000 people in the 30-some years that they were in a, a church. All right? That works out to be, if you averaged it, 3.6 people a day getting saved. It can be done. It is being done. In our day, in our country, let's do it here. How do you do it? Big fancy church? Yeah, that'd be great. But mainly, it's you being obedient to this commission and being willing to take the risk, even though you have doubts, to say, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Would you accept him as Lord and Savior?